This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. To everyone in our audience across 44 states, countries overseas, thank you for listening week after week and for making Your Valuable Home among the top 10% of all podcasts. We have two big announcements to make. Aha, the first one. Beginning the first Friday in January 2023 and continuing for five Fridays into February 2023, we'll serve up the podcast and YouTube series. That's YouTube as well. It's called The Coolest Neighborhoods in America. Enduring, historically significant architectural style was the determining factor in the neighborhoods we chose to feature. First up, multiple neighborhoods in Philadelphia and surrounding areas that feature to this day prime examples of homes in the mid century modern architectural genre. That podcast and YouTube release Friday, January 6th. Then on Friday, January 13th, we'll interview two longtime residents of Medford Lakes, a resort community of log homes turned year-round Mecca on a series of lakes in the protected Pinelands of New Jersey. And the coolest neighborhoods of America will continue through the first week in February with podcasts and accompanying YouTube videos. This is a first for us. Anybody who's interested in architectural styles and just finding about these communities where the common denominator is a real sense of pride about the community. Then in early February, we'll celebrate our 100th podcast. Can you believe that, Kevin? 100 podcasts. 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 I've actually watched you get older doing this project. (laughs) And the beginning of our ninth year in broadcasting and podcasting with tons of ideas for our listeners from Kevin and Ron and frequent contributors to Your Valuable Home. Ideas to help our listeners make affordable home improvements as well as lots of ideas to enhance the value of their communities. Our 100th podcast celebration begins in early February. All about you the listeners of Your Valuable Home. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Hey, Kev, we got another show, one of our early ones in uh, 2023, and uh, we got a combination replay and horror story here, right? Yeah, that is correct. We spoke we to John. We talked a little bit about last week when we did an interview. That we did. Yeah, yeah that we did. We talked uh, with his son-in-law and daughter and talking about a few things of what they were doing to upgrade their house. They hired a contractor. We got really good points of what their design capabilities. We talked a little bit of their replay was how they had a bad job. It was a bad contractor. Her father got involved, and we've been working together on trying to get 
get the logistics of how bad it is and some of the things that we can talk about when we get to the horror story of how our listeners can learn from this and not have it happen to them. So Mm -hmm. we're just going to jump into the replay. We have John on the air right now to talk about some of the things that he's seen getting involved in the replay on some of the good things that are going to be done and some of the reasons why they decided to do the kitchen, the siding, the windows, everything they're going to be doing and just get your thoughts a little bit about it and then we'll jump in some of the horror stories so our listeners can be educated on. So John, hey, thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Your daughter had bought the house and they were looking at re-gut. Was the house really in that bit of a shape? No, but the house is approximately 100 years old. It's a good area to move into. She wanted to improve it. You know, it all made sense um, because there's newer properties across the street. There's newer properties being built down the street. So, you know, it's a great area. But yeah, I think it was a good idea for her to go ahead and start doing some renovation. Just right. re- refresh our memories from last week. What kind of, what style house is it? Victorian, 100 years old, or what no, is it? No, it's a row home. Um, uh-huh. it's, a, it's in a town, you know, maybe 12 miles north of Philly suburb. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, she's 28. They like the access to the city. It's a good area. As I said, it's being built back up. Like there's constant construction going on there right now. So what are the reasons now? Was she living in an apartment, renting, staying with you? What was the, the time frame of what she was talking about when she was living? Yeah, part she, of this? she was renting an apartment in the same town. And some of her friends had bought uh, properties in the town. So she just kind of fell in love with the area and decided that she wanted to start looking. I want to say she bought it 18 months ago, roughly. Okay. And how um, long in the process between when she moved in to starting the process of the contracting? Um, it was probably, well, she's been under construction now for, for, for more than four months. So prior to that, she had some radon, you know, remediation that needed to be done. She had a new roof put on the house in June. She had hired an architect to redesign the structure and and give her the living space she was looking for. And then construction started in September. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, we, we talked about the kitchen designs, a couple of the things that we had talked about. But I think one of the things that we're going to be really doing on this show primarily is really focusing on uh, such a bad job that was performed that nothing has really been done. And we'll talk about how we're handling the best way to resolve the problem to make her whole again. So well, that's what you're right. involved in, right, John? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I've been enlisted to help out. Um I, I, fortunately, I have the time. I retired in July. So, it, it you know, and as I saw this thing progressing, um, I, you know, re- rebuilt my entire house in 2007. I built the shore house. I had the ability to kind of see things weren't right. I'm not the best guy to have a hammer and a nail in his hands, but at least I could identify things were going wrong. Okay. Got it. Got it. So that's what we're going to get into with the horror story. Because again, we're, we want to be able to educate our listeners at your valuable home. Some of the things that what you've seen that we can talk about that he had done. So future-wise for our listeners or any homeowner or contractor getting involved like this, they've got to learn how to do a project and do it correctly because the cost factor, it's it, it's massive. Sure. So that's why we're going to jump into this horror story. So why don't we hang tight and we'll, we'll jump right into the horror story. Okay. Okay. Now we got a horror story that just comes out of what we just talked about in the replay, which we talked about last week too. And what is the essence of the horror story? Yeah. John, can you explain what you've seen when you got in there? Yeah. So, so first of all, as a listener in a show, you know, uh, you, you, Kevin and I have a mutual acquaintance. I got in touch with Kevin. Um, for me, it, it first started when I was out there, she has a fig tree in the property. It's 60 years old. I went out there one day that she asked me if I could tie it up for the winter. 
and you know brace it for the winter while i'm out there the contractor was building a deck on the side of the house mm-hmm. and you know this is mid-november so i'm like okay so she's like that come on and take a look at the house so i went inside and the house is gutted there's no uh doors the windows there's there's windows have been removed there's just plywood and i'm and i'm going why are we building a deck when the house <laughs> isn't closed up we have Good winter question. coming yeah. so so that's when i started to go something isn't right so you know i <clears throat> immediately <clears throat> excuse me immediately sat her down and said hey put together a punch list get this guy on some kind of a program and let's start knocking the house out and getting that part of it done there was a two-week lag we kind of gave him a cure period he didn't clean it up i met with him with morgan and connor one day and basically said look it's just not working we need to move on so nothing was done really uh, because the inside when i got there was completely just gutted yeah, I think you said it started in September, right? We got it. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was approximately signed this contract. Kevin gave me this contract. This is like reading the Magna Carta. I've never <laughs> seen a contract this big. I know it is. It is very strange. Um, I actually fell the, asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the the I, I think there was a combination of problems. Um, you know, in terms of the 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 gentleman's ability to project manage. I think there was cash flow issues on his part. You know, I don't know what exactly was going for on from his side, but I just knew that nothing was complete. There wasn't any one thing complete, and we weren't working in any kind of logical order. Correct. And when I was there trying to decipher with the contract on what he has done, now here in the state of Pennsylvania, where we are recording from, uh, with that HICPA, it's their Home Improvement Consumer Protection Act, which tells the contractors, us contractors, that when we're going to be entering in a contract with a homeowner, there's got to be a start date and an end date. So this is the first thing on there. And then at that point, when he's writing the contract up, he's going to get disbursements on performances done, which means if he's done a certain amount, right. he can get money and draw on right. that. That's the way the contracts work. You just can't come in, take a lot of bit of money and say, hey, I'm not going to do the job. It doesn't work that way. There's got to be a start and end date. So there's so many discrepancies right at the beginning that I've seen that he has done which means what he's done is collected the money without doing any work. So when I, I spoke to John a little bit earlier and I said, is that the amount of money he collected already, which is way above what the contract stated and none of the work was done. Is that sounds like a, a fair shuffle to me? Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was. And then, so John, why don't we go jumping ahead? so uh, we, we could take a look at when, when I got there and, uh, I know you weren't uh, too happy with all some of the stuff that I found, but at least now we know how to address it and attack a, a good plan of attack. So let's let's go over that starting with the deck. Yeah. So you know, we, we you know when you came out, we we looked at the exterior, the 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 deck itself, um, the way that it was tied into the house is improper. Um, so now we've got to in the spring. Um, through your help, Kevin, we 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 got the 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 building inspector to agree to give us a. Uh, kind of a two-part rough framing one for the house itself and then one for the exterior so we have to do three additional footers post and beam to make the deck its own structure and not have it tied into the house the way it was and then there's this rear pantry area on the house that's almost like a covered porch if you will that that substructure was rotted out 
and needs to be re- redone. And even what he had done is wrong. So thankfully, the building inspector said, you, know, you can deal with that in the, in the spring when we can get additional footers put in. Um, and then we can finish that piece. Um, so, so that was kind of the outside. The outside is, is completely its own phase. Well, the, what he's talking about to so the back part of the house, there, the structure below it, there was really nothing that was all rotted out. And now for our listeners and contractors, are going to, when I'm going to say this, when the deck ledger board, which is the back band board that attaches to the house, was right. extending onto that, there was nothing under there to support at least 35% of the back end of the deck. Nothing. It was attached to rotted wood. So there's no support structure under that. So then I was walking back into the ledger board where it connects to the house. Hard to believe, yeah. There was only two through bolts mm-hmm. for a 28-foot deck. Is that correct? About 28 feet? Yeah, that's about so right. That thing, you, get, you get a party out there, and that thing's coming down. Oh, oh it's coming down. Yeah, yeah. It, it's coming down quick. Because Now, when I talk to the inspector, because, listen, I inspected the footings, but uh, I didn't inspect that. So what they do is, on a deck inspection, it's very simple because it's up off the ground. The inspector can see everything on the final, which is the rough inspection and everything else. But... He did the footings, said he inspected it, which they look fine. It was overkill. But you're building one side without the other side. That's one of the problems. So if <laughs> it's going to cost a lot more uh, for John now. So he's got to do all this additional work. And thank God the deck wasn't even built at that time. But that's, that's one of the small problems. So, John, I'm going to explain uh, to our listeners when I got into the house, I, I noticed there was a, like a major sag in the floor. And then he had two six-by-six six posts from the first to second floor right at the stairwell area. Mm-hmm. So when I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is really banana and down. Maybe you should have just jacked it up a little bit to level it when you're putting the post in. But here's why. So you, you ever play the game of Jenga? No. Right. Well, if you play the game of Jenga with all those pieces, do you start at the top pulling them out or do you pull everything out from the bottom? The bottom. So what happens? It all falls down. Falls down. So as soon as we got that, I'm looking at it. And again, I'm thinking in my mind, somewhat of a contractor with half a brain is going to be able to say, hey, if we're going to build something, you build with the foundation and start up. From there. Seems logical to me. So we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking. We went to the third floor, the second floor, and we're, I finally get to the basement. All the structure's gone. There's nothing there to hold this whole area up This from stair to stair. Did he take it out or it was never there? Uh, there was existing walls that were there to support it. Well, he took that out and then decided to start from the first to second floor. So he so took out load-bearing walls and just yeah. went, oh, yeah. boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. How about that? So that's when you know you have a few issues when you're dealing with a contractor if he does that. I hope this guy doesn't call himself a contractor with a capital C. It's got to be a lowercase c, right? Oh, <laughs> contractor it, in learning. So it, it, it makes me sick to my stomach to see something like this because homeowners shouldn't be taken like Aye. this. It really needs to be addressed that we, we've got to do better policing when contractors want to be a, a contractor anywhere, whether what part of the country you're in, because doing it this way number one the homeowner is going to cost him a lot more money number two is he going to get hold because it's a newer contractor well not only that but it's a dangerous situation too if you hadn't caught that and it just went on house could have collapsed uh, yeah and i tell you i give kudos to the township inspector however there were he was great to work with he came out and he said listen we can do that and like john said i'll let you do this get to this make this hole our it, then we can get to the next level instead of doing all at once because it you're right, with wintertime, it's going to have issues because there's no insulation in the place. So then uh, uh, when I got there, first thing I noticed, he put plywood over top of existing hardwood floor. Now, we've talked numerous shows on if you're going to put any underlayment of floor down, which is floor to floor, or if you're doing tile, you put the concrete board, you want to be able to glue that. Besides screws, glue it to the two floors so the deflection, the load carry strengthens like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. While I'm walking on it, all this plywood's moving. And then they're going to put it. Because the floor was never pulled up. 
Well, he applied the plywood. He put a OSP plywood floor over top and he put a few nails in it. And then he's going to put a luxury vinyl. I said, John, you know, I remember I was telling you about that one Cheers show where they were all walking around. And it's just squeaks. You hear squeak, squeak, squeak. And I said, in about three or four months, once the heat turns on, that's all you're going to hear when you walk over the entire floor. So if you start putting the finished floor down at that point, that's what you're going to hear. So that all has to be stripped up. Then we're looking into further that beside the structure having issues, the way he built the fire stopping, everything that this contractor put his hands on basically has to get ripped out and redone. And I, I tell you, it was, it was lucky that it was just the timing of uh, in between jobs where we took a few days off that uh, we were able to help John uh, try to get him home, put him in the right direction. Right, John? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, in, in you know, we're, we're looking at having the rough framing completed tomorrow um, and then inspection mid next week for rough framing and electrical. And that started two weeks ago and we had two holidays in between. So it's been corrected very quickly. Good. Yeah. The, the best comment was we, I think it was that heavy rain we had about a week ago. And he sent me a picture with big water spots on the floor of the window and the door that this contractor put in. He goes, what's this? I kind of wrote back going, a leak. So, <laughs> <laughs> they're not living in this place, are they? No, there's no. Oh, no, 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 no. no it's, can't it, you, can, you can't live. You can't live there. I mean, yeah. it's stripped down to <clears throat> the bones. I mean, it's it's down to nothing. So yeah, the the windows were improperly installed. The doors are bound. We can't open the doors. The 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 uh, French doors that he put out to the the substructure of the deck. So we have those locked off, but they've been installed all wrong. It, it's there was not one thing that was done correctly. All the two by four interior walls because there's block on the exterior had to be taken out because they wouldn't meet the um, R21 that we need to do for the exterior wall. So we had to take mm -hmm. those out and replace with all two by six. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's almost been a complete redo of the frame. Well, how about the one window? Where do you stand with this guy? With the, with I'm the sorry. Original, where do you stand with them? Um, we're right, right now. The focus is clearly on getting the structure getting done, done and right, cleaned up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, phase two, obviously, is that external portion. And then phase three, we've already engaged an attorney. So in, in phase three, once we get the structure back, we'll, we'll, we'll start to, you know, get our minds on the uh, legal side of it. Yeah, it's a shame. You got to, now you're going to have to spend like $250, $300 an hour for an attorney to, you know, go after this guy because he's botched job. It's yeah. crazy. Crazy. Yeah, yeah but I, mean, I, think, I think we all agree, you know, the, these kind of things have to be pursued. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. It's just a shame you have to do this. No, agreed. I mean, it's it's a, a lesson for, for everybody involved, frankly. Um, but, you know, we're, you know, the good news is that we're, we're in a very good spot now. Um, we can we can get through the rough. Um, the HVAC is ready for the rough inspection, the plumbing, the electrical, and then soon the, the rough framing. So, we're moving. That's the good part. We're not. We're not kind of treading water. We're moving forward. Yeah, that's the good news. Well, one of the windows in the kitchen <clears throat> that, that I actually didn't even notice was uh, the he installed a new window. And I, when you put windows in, you got a little space around so you can insulate, and it has a little bit of healthy room to to move. You just can't wedge a vinyl window in. So Dave was there, and he's looking at it. He goes, "Uh oh." I said, "What?" He's like, "That window that he put in is going to be installed below the countertop." So the countertop's going to go across, and the window's going to be below the countertop. He goes, did you notice? I'm like, no, I didn't even pick anything up. So thinking ahead of what you're going to be doing, 
So we uh, we ordered new windows and doors, and uh, John, you can kind of explain uh, you know, the process on that. What we worked out with, and what, what windows are we going to be putting in indoors? Yeah, so the, there's two two doors to the deck, two French doors to the deck. There's two windows in the lo- uh, first level, and then the second level, there's um, two sets of three windows for the bedroom and the bath. And they're all going to be replaced because we, I believe, we just got those ordered uh, as quick as possible. So, and I know the turnaround time is pretty good with them. But uh, what was one of the window companies that uh, you wanted to use for this job? The the Provedia ones. Yeah, I tell you, we put all indoor Provedia windows are going to be putting in, and uh, it's just wise choice, John. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that's the one thing that I've kind of impressed on my daughter is that you know if she wants to later on change out the kitchen cabinets or, or something else, right. That, that's fine. It, the, to be windows and doors are no different than tires on your car. They better be good. Yep. So we, we've definitely, you know, I, that was the other thing, the windows and doors that he brought in, you know, what did you say, Kevin, he, he might've got them at a, a, yard, you know, sale. a yard sale or something like that. I mean, they were just as cheap as can be. And that's just not in my mind, a place to skimp. No, no, I agree one hundred. Well, you can see they're leaking. I yeah. mean, if you're going to have leaking from day one, that, that's going to be the problem. So, number two is improper installation of the window. You know, just because you put some rubber around Shoddy it, shoddy product and improper installation. He, you put those two together, and you got bad news. Right. So, what's the sense yeah. of redoing all this work if it's going to be done wrong? So, I said, listen, yeah. why don't we make a decision? We'll put the Provian door in. We'll install it correctly, and then you're done forever. Yeah, wise decision on on a, on a brand of uh, windows and doors. They do make a wonderful product. Yeah, so I, I know there was a lot of problems that uh, we, we, we found, but yeah, John's in a, in a better direction right now, but it's just trying to guide everybody in the right direction when you're starting a project and you're doing projects like this. If you don't have everything mapped out in the beginning, because everybody wants to get started right away, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be one of the biggest nightmares you've ever had. If you just look at the heft of that contract, you say, well, this guy's really got him stuffed together, right? But it's just like... It seems like he was an artist talking about weird things. I don't know. has know. nothing to do with the contract. And I... It, John, the first like five or six things that I was reading in that contract, I couldn't understand. Plus, it was so vague. You know, when you say, hey, I'm getting, you're buying a car for our listeners. You're buying a car. What are you getting? A car. Well, what are you getting for that price? A car. Right. That's the whole thing we try to get. It was so vague. Uh, Usually, some people put allowances in, which I'm not a big fan of. And what an allowance is, if you're going to go buy kitchen cabinets, the contractor should be pricing the cabinets in. Here's a little known yeah. fact. Whether it's a $100,000 cabinet or $10 cabinet, they right. go in the same. Right. So I don't charge for the, the material of it. You pick it and you control your budget. But that should all be done separate and ahead of time. Because if it's not, it, it's going to take months and months and months. And I always tell Johnny, this is one thing I always tell my customers, no matter how fast we are, no matter how clean we are, no matter how great the job is, about two weeks into the job, three weeks, you're going to be wanting me out of your house. I mean, you're at four months. Yeah. It's got to be completely stressful for you and your son-in-law and daughter to be going through this, correct? Oh, yeah. it's It's been an emotional nightmare. I mean, and that's why I said I think the, to me, I've seen a noticeable change in both of them over the last two weeks because they're seeing progress. The, the other part that I would bring up that I, again, not having been involved in the project, I was, she's 28, I kind of let her do her own thing. She's very independent. Um, once I stepped into it, I kind of realized that, you know, he was making decisions without including her. Correct. Correct. Her, her husband? No, the contractor. Oh, the contractor. Just no, yeah, the contractor. Okay. He was just, he was doing, she went away in, in um, September overseas. 
um, when she came back, the there was walls that were taken out that were never to be taken out. There were ceilings that were taken out that shouldn't have been taken out. There was stairwells, uh, stairways that had been taken out. It was he just he just took liberty on the project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you can't do well, that. I mean, here, like one of the lines he has: install seventy-two uh, inch, which six o door, uh, and kitchen and patio door. Well, what are you getting? It's a patio door. <laughs> and number one, it says uh, sliding. It's not even a sliding door. But th- these are the things that I'm talking about, like the flooring. <clears throat> it's a luxury vinyl tile floor. What are you getting? There's variety right. you can choose from. Uh, I mean, all this should have been explained for homeowners to understand. Deciphering this contract is, I'm even it's baffled easy. at put half me the to stuff. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it put Ron to sleep, but I'm more concerned about these first uh, elements of what you're going to be purchasing. So that's where it comes in where homeowners can get ripped off. I mean, anybody can sign a contract. You can put the price so low, but if you don't ask the right questions from the beginning, he could be adding on so much additional cost to it. And then by law, you have to pay it if he presents it to you. So that's why I always try to let people know, know in the beginning. If you can ask the questions that should be asked in the beginning, it's going to make everybody's life, anybody of our listeners, your life so much easier when you're entering a contract with any contractor. And you know what I'd say? Your daughter and son-in-law are very, very fortunate that you just retired because if you try to do this with a full-time job, you would go absolutely nuts, right? I I couldn't have done it in my prior job. There's no way. I I was, was, you know dust till dawn but the, the thing that i would say is I, I look at it as we're very fortunate to have had kevin because he was able to i i, I don't know this in this industry i don't know who to talk to right i don't i don't know who to go to he pointed me in the direction and gave me you know access to drywall contractors access to framers you know that that type of thing is important because sure. i don't know who to call yeah Sure, absolutely. And that's really most of the population across America. They're just really looking at online search sites. You know, they'll push a button thinking the app's going to be able to mm-hmm. find the best contractor. Mm-hmm. And this is why our show has been uh, so successful, because we are getting a lot of horror stories, which is a heartfelt to hear that from our listeners. But if listening to the show is going to get you not to have these problems, why don't we just listen to the show and just say, hey, Kevin, though, it is going to cost more money, but you're not going to go through these issues of aggravation. Because I'm sure you got, as I said, attorney costs aggravation that you're gonna yeah. do you're never gonna get that back it just it just compounds itself and when you work with a contractor and i don't know how many shows almost going into nine to ten years of this you want to be feel comfortable with the contractor and if you feel comfortable with the contractor you should have a great experience working with them because if you get it done you get it done at a nice point that contractor just lost out now he's going to be out of business after this because everything he's done is is not Number one, the law. The contract's not written up the law. We're Plus, certainly not going to get a reference, is he? John, do you think you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think that's gone. Um, but but I, again, I think your comments on the contract are, are really interesting, too, because I think that's the part that she missed. Yep. Right? And she, she never brought the contracts to me to review. They, they were, when I did get a chance to review them, they were so vague that you're going, of course, this is what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, you, you, you know it's coming. But that's why we want the show to keep getting out because if, if everybody can listen to the show, you'll never have these problems and or we would minimize a lot of these problems ahead of time. So when you enter into the contract, you're not going to have these problems that you're dealing with right now and your, your son-in-law and daughter are dealing with because it's, it's a nightmare and it's an absolute. But it's the problem with me, why, why even Ryan asked me so many times, why do I get so upset? Because I said it affects me. 
is because now contractors get yeah. this bad name. The bad the bad work rubs off on the good contractors. That it so does. Yeah. And there's only a handful of good contractors Easy that I personally know. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. why I get a little more upset. Our listeners or anybody that's going to be listening from here on out, just contact the show. I, I worked with John. I'm getting him in the right direction. Now, granted, we are close with him uh, in being in the same area of this country, but just send me the emails. If you send me the emails, I'll be glad to help anybody that I can possibly help get through all this so you don't have these problems. That Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. Let me make your life a lot easier when you're entering into contracts so you don't have these problems. So, John, hey, thanks for coming on Your Valuable Home Podcast, talking about this. Yeah, good luck, John. Good luck to your daughter. And well, thank you. Yeah. Thank both of you. Yep. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Kev, is it hard for clients planning large exterior projects to visualize how the colors and textures work together? It used to be, especially when they mix products from different manufacturers. Provia's new website and broad selection of exterior products make my job easy. Clients' faces light up as they choose all the products needed to give their home's exterior a now look with Provia's product line and their amazing new website. We use their visualizer right from my laptop. Hey, the site is amazing. Provia makes color selection a breeze. The website has eight suggested exterior color schemes that can be applied to Provia products, or customers can choose shades from any palette to suit their own tastes. The Design Center tab must be a great tool for you in visualizing how all Provia products work in harmony based on window and door configuration, siding, stone, and metal roofing color and style. It's brilliant. You can see how Provia products work together on a sample home or a photo of a client's own home. Then you save the work with the My Portfolio tab. The site even lets me take exterior measurements. The new Provia.com and an expansive line of exterior products deliver on Provia's mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. For updating home exteriors, our listeners should go to Provia.com slash YVH first and visualize the possibilities. All right, Ron, we're back to the featured segment with the coolest neighborhoods in America, and I believe we're staying on the West Coast, correct? We are on the West Coast. On a trip to L.A. a few years ago, I've been there a lot. I spent a wonderful day in Pasadena and walked through a magical neighborhood. The place is really cool. Neighborhood called Bungalow Heaven. So Bungalow Heaven is graced with many, many fine examples of two distinctive architectural styles of homes. The arts and crafts home and the related craftsman-style home. Incidentally, the name Pasadena resulted from a contest held by settlers from Indiana, of all places, to name their town. Pasadena means crown of the valley. The San Gabriel Valley is at the foothill of the San Gabriel Mountains, which is always pointed out to you when they do the Rose Bowl Parade. So many of Pasadena's original one- and two-story arts and crafts and craftsman houses that remain occupied today were built between 1890 and 1929. Bungalow Heaven is cherished by the people who own homes there, and they're very proud of their neighborhood. It's incredible. It's a common element in every story we're doing in the series. And we have two longtime Bungalow Heaven residents with us today. There's Carol, a former resident of Pittsburgh, PA, who graduated from Penn State, attended grad school in California State. That was how many years ago, Carol? It's been 40 years in California. 40 years in California. And you must like it there, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> we love it here. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a lot different than Pennsylvania. Okay. And then there's Juan, whose military family made a move to San Diego, and he found his way up to Bungalow Heaven. And that was how many years ago, Juan? I've been in Bungalow Heaven for 22 years now. We made our way to this area in the mid-90s. And both of you were proud to say you live in arts and crafts homes, and they're gorgeous. On the picture you sent me and Carol's own, I mean, they're absolutely magnificent. Thank you. Thank you. Carol, what was the initial attraction to Bungalow Heaven, and do you still feel that way today, 40 years later? 
My husband and I attended the Bungalow Heaven Home Tour way back in 1991. We had been starting to look to buy a house, and I loved the Craftsman house that I was renting because it reminded me of my grandmother's house back in Pittsburgh. Hmm. But at that time, I didn't know anything about architecture. So we went on this home tour to learn. And once we finished the tour and saw Bungalow Heaven, the homes and the people, we decided immediately that this was the place for us. So we told our poor real estate estate agent that they could only show us homes in bungalow heaven and within a year we had our 1909 transitional victorian craftsman home and we thought this was going to be our first starter home but now we would never consider living anywhere else within a year of being in the neighborhood we were on the bungalow heaven board of directors we've been volunteering on the home tour since 1993 and we've made so many friends throughout the neighborhood so one of the founding members of our of bungalow heaven used to have this saying Come for the architecture, stay for the people. And so that perfectly describes what happened to us. Yeah, I can understand it. I mean, I spent an afternoon walking around there. I didn't actually take the, the formal walking tour or anything. It's a magical place. And it's not too far from uh, Colorado Boulevard, right? It's a few blocks up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's some, not something that you would walk every day, but it's walkable to the Colorado Boulevard. Juan, how about you? You've been there a while, too. Is the attraction the same today as it was when you first arrived there? Oh, absolutely. I can't imagine living in another place. So we've got deep roots here, and this is my home. Uh, This is my tribe, so to speak. This is my culture. The way we came about to it was a little bit similar to Carol's journey and story. And Mm -hmm. what had happened for us is my wife and I were looking for finally deciding to buy real furniture, so to speak, instead of having that attitude that you would have when you're younger of having an end table be a cardboard box that's covered by a (laughs) tablecloth or something like that. And we were starting to think, well, what do we like in terms of a style? And we didn't have the vocabulary to explain at this point. But what we really came out to was just simple clean lines in our furniture, straight rectilinear, you know, no fancy ornamentation or anything like that, just very straightforward. But we couldn't describe it. And at the time, there was an intersection of things happening in our lives. It happened to be the introduction to the Gamble House, a very famous arts and crafts house here in Pasadena that's a house museum, and also an event that was happening at the same time that's put on by our local preservation organization called Pasadena Heritage. And for years, they had put on an annual conference in the fall called Craftsman Weekend. And it was all things craftsman and everything that you wanted to learn about that. And so we finally found our people, so to speak, that could describe what we we're looking for in the architecture. And they said, hey, you got to go check out Bungalow Heaven. That's what you're looking for. And kind of like what happened with Carol is we started going up and down the neighborhood every weekend looking for open houses. And we wanted to live there. We wanted to live in Bungalow Heaven. And the rest is history. Yeah, if I ever moved to California, I would definitely consider bungalow heaven. No question about it. What is the strict definition and origin of an arts and crafts house and the difference between that and the architectural genre called craftsman style house? You know, the way I come to understand it is really the term arts and crafts has evolved over the years and it encompasses craftsman homes as well. It's uh, it's absorbed that. So it's really an umbrella term the way I see it. The arts and crafts movement, I don't know if you know anything about it, but really it had started in England in the late 1850s as a reaction to industrialism. And the whole idea of arts and crafts was a return to 
craftsmanship, the guilds of medieval times, and returning to goods that are well-made instead of industrially made and cheap made or made by factories. And it moved into taking over aspects of architecture, of textiles, of art itself, of household goods, decorative art. And it moved into that. And so then as it moved out of England and into the United States, it was taken over by a gentleman by the name of Gustav Stickley, which is a furniture manufacturer, furniture designer. He took it over. He started his enterprises with respect to furniture making and with respect to a magazine that promoted the arts and crafts philosophy called the Craftsman Magazine. Through his enterprises, what happened is he moved into designing houses and started to uh, provide designing houses around 1903. 1904. He put out his house designs, which were called Craftsman House Designs, under the name of the Craftsman Enterprises. The term Craftsman House originally is a term that is associated with his enterprises, his business. So when you hear the term Craftsman House, that's where that comes from. And the Craftsman Houses that he designed were of all kinds of materials, cement, logs, bricks, shingles, you know, all kinds of materials, typically two-story houses, some one-story houses, but was all returned to an emphasis on local materials, using what's on the land, being very conscientious about locally made materials to go ahead and create your home. Over the years, that term has evolved as language evolves over the years, and craftsmen has been absorbed into talking about it as bungalows. In particular, a lot of our houses out here in Southern California, while they're bungalows, they are referred to generically as a craftsman house now or an arts and crafts house. Okay. Well, let me ask the both of you. Do both of you have Stickley? I have modern Stickley Mm -hmm. that has been made recently. I have a few pieces of original Stickley, and then the rest of my furniture is a combination of other manufacturers of the period, mostly Lifetime. We basically at this point have our entire home furnished with furniture that is either of the period or that is a reproduction of the period. Gotcha. Juan, how about you? We have mostly antiques in our house. It was, you know, our idea to furnish it with furniture of the period. However, sometimes we have a blend, and the manufacturers that Carol had mentioned are in my house as well. The antiques that people want to furnish their homes with in this style can get sometimes prohibitively expensive. And so you have to go to alternative means and go to contemporary furniture makers that are working in that style, in that design, and sometimes get those because they're more fitting for our budget in terms of affordability. How many homes make up bungalow heaven and how many of them are considered arts and crafts or craftsman style homes? So there are 1,062 homes that are directly facing the street. There's a total of 1166 buildings in the neighborhood but the rest of those are back houses sometimes called granny flats 55 percent of the ones that are facing the street are in the craftsman style with the next largest group about 30 percent of the houses they're in the revival styles like colonial revival mediterranean english or tudor revivals One of the interesting things about the arts and crafts era homes is that the style sort of evolved as the owners and the builders, like sort of the designer builders, made their own interpretations of the style. And so because of the cost of architects, they usually did not use architects for the homes in our neighborhood, but therefore our neighborhood sort of has a richer variety of interpretations of the style based on the hundreds of people that were building these homes. 
And I would add to that, within our region, the great influencer in the region would be Charles and Henry Green, the architects of the famous Gamble House. Mm -hmm. And it's their design elements that seem to have spread the seeds in terms of design elements throughout this region. And so their influence upon the many design build firms or design build individuals can be present in many of the bungalows you'll see in bungalow heaven or even regionally. A very well-known local researcher in the region by the name of John Ripley has hypothesized that the influence of green and green and spreading their design elements throughout the city and throughout the Los Angeles region has been numerous. And I think most of the time we really point to Charles and Henry Green for the most part setting the tone for the design that you see that is so present in bungalows in the Pasadena and Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump ahead here. You mentioned the Gamble House. What's the story behind the Gamble House? And it's the same architectural style, correct? It does fit into the arts and crafts style. It's sometimes hard to explain it. If you had to go ahead and slot it, you would slot it in the arts and crafts style. Mm -hmm. And the Gamble House is a house that was designed in 1907 by the architects Charles and Henry Green. And it was designed for David and Mary Gamble of the Procter & Gamble Company. They had come out to Pasadena, and Pasadena during the late 1800s and early 20th century was well known as a resort town, a tourist town. And lots of families from the Midwest and East Coast would come out here from about November to May for the mild winter climate, and they would stay here. They would stay in the various resort hotels uh, in the area uh, during that time frame. And some of them, though, had been regulars like the Gambles and would come out here on a regular basis for the winter months. And so the frequency of coming out here so often, they had decided to go ahead and have a winter home designed for them. And so the Gamble House was the winter residence of David and Mary Gamble. It is a symphony in wood, <laughs> so to speak. It is referred to by aficionados of the Gamble House as an ultimate bungalow. The design elements all in there are all reflective of the arts and crafts philosophy. It's a it's a home that can be toured year-round. It's kind of like the Mecca for people that are fans of arts and crafts. They have to make a pilgrimage to the Gamble House because really a lot of the design elements that you see in the Gamble House really set the tone for the arts and crafts movement. It's a very prominent house museum that's open for touring. Does Bungalow Heaven have the greatest concentration of arts and crafts houses, homes in the U.S.? If we were going to look at it locally and talk about it with respect to the city of Pasadena, we are the largest landmark district in the city of Pasadena, mm-hmm. and we are also the first landmark district in the city of Pasadena. Bungalow haven't set the tone for what would come afterwards in terms of landmark districts being designated throughout the city of Pasadena. And of the remaining homes there, is there any other dominant architectural style? We have a lot of the revival styles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are homes mostly built in the 1920s, 20s, and 30s. And they're quite well integrated in amongst the craftsman-style homes. And in our annual home tour, we often feature many of those homes as well as the craftsman-style homes. The next largest concentration is what we would call sort of like minimal traditional or ranch styles from the 1930s to the 1950s. There's fewer of those. And then there's onesies, twosies of things like Victorian and transitionals and a few other styles. But the revival styles are almost as easy to spot as the craftsman homes in our neighborhood. The typical arts and crafts home and craftsman home occupies a pretty compact footprint, doesn't it? How big are they? 
typically they're around 1200 to 1400 you know because we've got a lot of one-story homes throughout the neighborhood we do have a few larger ones of course too but i would say somewhere between you know 1200 maybe 1500 in terms of square foot just give us a general description of your home carol My home is a transitional Victorian craftsman in a style that's sometimes called a Swiss chalet. It has elements of Victorian, like the kind of stick work in the eaves and steeply pitched roofs, mixed in with craftsman elements like chunky Arroyo stone boulder and clinker brick columns on the front porch. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a quirky house. It's got a Victorian entry hall, which you would never find in a craftsman, but it's got craftsman-style colonnades dividing the living room from the entry hall. A colonnade is kind of a little partial wall that's topped with a post, usually contains bookcases, and it's a very typical craftsman feature, Mm -hmm. but those are usually between the living room and the dining room. We've got a lot of interior woodwork and built-ins, which feel very much like the craftsman style, and fortunately, no one has ever painted the woodwork, and so we were very, very lucky to um, not have to do a whole lot of stripping of paint except for the kitchen and the bathroom. It's one and a half stories. We've, all, we've got three bedrooms and our single bathroom upstairs. But the main feature that sold me on this house was our built-in buffet in the dining room that has these beautiful leaded glass doors and milk glass windows in the drawers. And after I saw that buffet, I just couldn't think of any other house. In addition, we've got all kinds of other built-ins, like there's four built-in benches a built-in desk with a hidden Murphy bed below it. And throughout the floors are the typical Douglas fir, which is in most of the houses in our neighborhood, as well as some oak floors in the living room and the dining room. It's just a really complicated and quirky and beautiful home. In addition to the built-ins, is there a lot of paneling on the walls too, wooden paneling? There is wainscoting in the dining room, which I wouldn't necessarily call paneling. It goes halfway up the wall. It was sort of board and batten. And then in the living room, we just have the little boards with plaster in between them. Or maybe Juan's going to tell me those are the battens. <laughs> We've used reproduction period wallpaper in as many rooms as we can to try to recreate that feeling of what the house looked like when it was first built. Well, Carol, mm-hmm. I got a question for you. Being a contractor, you have a house you just bought in Bungalow Heaven. You want to redo it. And I, I was reading something about the COA that you have to abide by. Could you explain that? That's the Certificate of Appropriateness. The Bungalow Heaven Landmark District is administered by the city of Pasadena. And uh, we have a conservation plan that governs what changes are permitted to be made to the houses in the neighborhood, to areas that can be visible from the public right-of-way, the street or any alleys. And so homeowners are encouraged not to change anything because we value and cherish the original features of our homes, including and almost particularly the original wooden windows and the siding and and everything else. And so if a homeowner wants to make a change, if they need to repair something or to restore something that had been changed before the landmark district came into play, then they fill out a form for the city explaining what they're going to do, this certificate of appropriateness. And then the city design and historic preservation staff evaluate that and work with the homeowners 
to determine what they can do that would still respect the conservation plan for the neighborhood. And so it's a very common process. I've done it many times with my home when we've had to do some restoration or an addition in the back or whatever. And you just work with the city to make sure that changes aren't made to the neighborhood that would detract from the historic character that we so cherish. Not a very wise way to go. It has to do primarily with the exterior of the home, correct? Exclusively with the exterior, exterior. yes. Juan, how about your house? Can you describe your house for us? My house is a 1914 bungalow. It was built by one of the designers that happened a little bit more frequently in the neighborhood by the name of George Palmer Telling. It's a typical one story right smack into the heyday of the bungalow where some houses will have a vertical thrust to them and have a vertical orientation in their character. Mine spreads out. Like one of the first things you'll encounter on the exterior upon the front of the house is the front porch. The front porch is really like a stage. It's just straight across the full width of the front of the house. And it's anchored by these two massive porch pillars, which are trapezoidal in its geometry. And it is clad in rough shingles. And the woodwork is of this heavy, beefy, dimensionally sized wood. And it's rough hewn to give a rustic character to it. We got three bedrooms, one bath. It's a very small footprint, but it's got a lot of great built-ins, like the colonnade that Carol was speaking about. We have that. The woodwork is stained in the living room and the dining room for that really cozy, manly type of feel. We've got lots of built-ins and we've got the original windows, which are a character-defining feature. Yeah, one of the things that is really neat about our house is we have what are known in the back, in the bedrooms. They're known as Pullman car windows. They're pocket windows or drop windows. In other words, mm-hmm. what will happen is you'll open up the window stool and then the window will drop right down into the wall pocket, just like a pocket door, except it moves up and down vertically. It's just like a railway car window and you can just move it right down and then push the window stool shut and it's hidden. It's, that's why we call it pocket windows or hidden windows. On really warm days, summer days or late spring, someone who's in that room will just drop all the windows down and we've got windows on two sides and it'll create a nice cross breeze. Uh, but we We've got a lot of wainscoting in there, too, you know, um, a nice buffet uh, in the dining room, a very warm and cozy fireplace that we sit by, you know, on, on days like this. Uh, it's just really a cozy, comfy house, uh, and we're, we're, we're very appreciative of owning the house. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you both, what's it like? Do you get up every morning with the realization that you live in an iconic neighborhood? Are you constantly aware of that? I am certainly constantly aware of it because I spend so much time uh, making sure that that it stays the way it is. And I also so enjoy the, the fact that because of the Landmark District and because of the Neighborhood Association, I know so many of the people that live in this neighborhood. When I walk up and down the streets for exercise, I'm constantly waving hello to people that I know. And, uh, you know, I, I know my neighbors and we, we talk to each other frequently. And I, I realize this is sort of rare these days to be so closely connected to a community that you live in. And so I never take that for granted. Um, I, I love it when um, I walk by Mar Vista where they have their once a week, they have little gatherings out on the street where all the neighbors get together and talk. And my neighborhood has a block party and um, we've got 
you know, the neighborhood association sponsors uh, movies in the park and Halloween parades and Easter egg hunts and, and all sorts of different events and activities where people can get together and, and talk and, and know each other. And, and I, I really do feel that this is, you know, a gem of a neighborhood that uh, is, is not so common anymore. Well, I think that, I think one of the common denominators there is, and, and I've, I've felt this in all these interviews that we're doing, is is a, a tremendous, a hyper pride of about the neighborhood and about taking care of and preserving the neighborhood. Do you feel yeah. that? Do you feel that? I would agree with that. Okay, I would. I, you know, I take pride in in living in bungalow heaven. I take, you know, and it really is true. You come for the architecture and stay for the neighborhood, or I think stay for the people. You know, that is true, you know, and I take pride and I am grateful every day that I live in this community, in this neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I love getting together with people and taking pride in our homes, taking pride in, you know, the gatherings that we we have available, such as a home tour and various, many various events that the Bungalow Heaven Neighborhood Association put on to create community, whether it's a snow day or it's a gathering on the 4th of July or it's a Halloween costume contest, all events that we offer. And, you know, we are, you know, and I take pride and I'm often boasting with pride because I'm filled with pride about we live in the best neighborhood in Pasadena. Uh, We set the tone for preservation in, I feel, in the neighborhood, in the city. Uh, preservation efforts, and we set the tone for the way landmark districts should carry themselves out. Um, I feel we are the we are in the vanguard when it comes to to that kind of stuff. And and other neighborhoods, they look to us. They 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 reach out to Carol or Tina Miller uh, or various individuals in our neighborhood for ways they need to go ahead and run things within their own neighborhood. And so I don't take that for granted because it is not typical. And I and I notice it a lot when I will visit other areas, say, in the country or even regionally. Um, you know, I grew up most for the most part in San Diego. And the infrastructure that they have here in Pasadena, in Los Angeles, you know, um, is on a different level. Uh, um, not to say that other neighborhoods don't have it. They have preservation efforts and everything but i am i i'm just grateful that i live in the community and the neighborhood in the city that i do yeah i would say that people in other areas of the country whether it's texas uh, uh the carolinas wherever if they want to preserve their community and it's worth preserving the way you have they ought to look to uh, bungalow heaven for um guidance i would i would mm-hmm. definitely recommend that let me ask you this how uh, I would think that a lot of people there are like you. Homes don't come up for sale too often, do they? It is, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Carol, go ahead. You were going to answer that. Well, it's it's okay. It's just you know, we, you know, people have to move at times because of their jobs or because they want to be closer to family. And so, you know, uh, we've got a lot of really long-term residents that have been here for decades, some, you know, over 50 years. But we do have on the order of 40 to 50 homes every year that are 
sold in the neighborhood. I, I mm. kind of have that number just because we, you know, we have new neighbor packets that we, um, you know, can distribute to people. And so we, re- we reach out to new neighbors to, you know, welcome them to the neighborhood or, um, you know, invite them to come on the home tour. And so it's, it's on the order of at least in typical years, 40 to 50 um, homes turnover. The home tour is the last Sunday in April every year. We've been um, running it for over 30 years. It is uh, the primary way that we raise funds for the Neighborhood Association, but it's also primarily um, meant to educate uh, the public about arts and crafts um, homes and, and historic neighborhoods. And we uh, have usually on the order of eight houses that are open for people that they can tour. Um, and the houses are filled with docents that explain the features of the homes. And then outside on the streets, we've got demonstrators showing different uh, techniques. We've got refreshment stands with homemade cookies that are baked by the neighbors. We've got um, musical groups and sometimes trolley tours or uh, accompanying lectures or garden tours. It's, it's kind of like a large neighborhood festival. Um, we even have food trucks and, and, and things for, for folks to enjoy when they're here. Sounds and fun. so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great day in the neighborhood. We use about 150 volunteers from the neighborhood to work the tour on that day um, and welcome on the order of a thousand people from across the country. And where do people find out about it? You can go to the Bungalow Heaven website, bungalowheaven.org, and uh, there will be um, a, a link to take you to information about this year's home tour. Okay. Carol, Juan, thank you very much for sharing the story of the wonderful place you live. And uh, I thank Tina, too, your neighbor, I guess, for providing us with a lot of great photography for the video that will accompany this. Thanks again. We appreciate it. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing, stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories if you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story email me at kevin at your that's kevin at your and don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 